Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome back to Aussie Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. This is what we have dubbed the call. Uh, One hour where we analyse 10 stocks that uh, you have suggested we have a look at and I put them to our expert panel and we kick off the week as we usually do with one of my favourite panels, Nathan Somersandara from Deep Data analytics uh Nathan, morning or afternoon Jude Gorad Sodi from intelligent investor his uh, brother in arms sometimes um, <laughs> is is joining us as well great to have you two guys on board and we always have a lot to get through with you um hey let's get stuck straight into it because last week we wrapped up our future fund stock series but I Thought I'd keep the ball rolling and keep our experts on their toes with a with another series for the next two weeks. I'm asking our guests to come along with their top stocks for a crash. As you know, I hate October. October, I'm old enough to remember. October is all about crashes, and uh, the last two weeks or so, uh, global markets have been on a roller coaster, which always makes me nervous. So, what are our experts' favourite stocks that are? really expensive now, and they're just itching for a pullback or a crash to top up. So, uh, Nathan, what fits that category for you? Uh, Look, um, in our market, the the best sector, without doubt, is healthcare, even though people probably think uh, it's mining or banks or so forth. It's the healthcare. Healthcare is the only sector in Australia that actually outperformed over the last six, seven years uh, compared to the US uh, counterparts. So it's a great sector. That's where you want to look. And the best stock bar none is CSL. It's our, my number one growth stock. Um, and it gives you every two years, you get a, a you know two to three pullbacks um, and you buy that on that pullback and then don't worry about it. Um, right. It'll be the one that'll be around. It's the big growth story. Um, it always looks expensive, but those two, three times, you'll get it cheaper than expensive. Okay, all right, CSL. Uh, Gaurav, what's a, a favourite stock of yours that you wait for the pullback or a crash and think, OK, I'm going to load up on this? May I just say how disappointed I am in Nathan that he's picked the most predictable and boring stock <laughs> you can imagine. <laughs> I thought he'd do something with a bit more heat, a bit more contention, but now he's played it nice and safe. <laughs> See, Howard, Howard Coleman from Team Invest, I predict, will pick CSL as well. And I would never ah, predict Nathan as a Howard Coleman type uh, investor. Well, I think I think what what um, what defines one of the things I think that defines a good investor is that you never know what's going to come out of their mouth, and you never know mm. what quite they're going to say. And I think that's certainly the case for Nathan. <laughs> you never quite know. <laughs> so, what's your stock that that you're, you'd you'd load up on if there was a crash? 
Look, mine is also quite predictable. Like Rib Nathan, but mine's quite predictable. I think one of the best businesses on the market and one that is often underestimated is Domino's Pizza. Uh, it's been underestimated by me and by Intelligent Investor for a long time, but we did pick it up under $40 last time it fell off a cliff. And we've been holding it for a long time. It's a significant um, investment for me personally. And I've just been, it has blown every expectation I had out of the water. The more I look at it, the more it impresses me. I actually struggle to find another large company that has as much growth as this one has with the quality of management, quality of balance sheet, and, um, and surety uh, and strength of business model. It is, it is one of the best businesses on the ASX, maybe the best manage, management team by none on the ASX. And every time this thing pulls back, I would, I would be nibbling at it and buying some more. This is a stock you wanna own for, for decades to come and, and never sell it. Um, so this is one of my favorite businesses. And um, every time this pulls back is, is an opportunity to buy some more. Okay, Nathan, do you agree? Or is he boring? No, no, I have to admit, it's, it's, it's not, it, you know, it's one of those things where even through the pandemic, when I started ordering the pizza, you realize how good they have evolved. And, and I'll do the pet hate for Garaf. It's not a tech stock, but it is, yes. it's a bloody good pizza maker. And they've evolved in every region to, you know, accommodate for their client base. And they've done every time people try to short this thing, you end up getting killed. So it's been a proven winner. Okay. All right. Just to give you one quick indication about its its quality, um, Crust is a is a significant competitor for Domino's. Crust sells their pizza at twice, sometimes three times the price of Domino's. And for every pizza they they sell and deliver, Domino's makes twice the margin. Wow. So they're selling it a third or half the price and making two x the margin. It just tells you so much about the scale and the, uh, the density of that business and how well it's working. Yep, absolutely. All right, two great ones to kick off our, our new series, stocks to buy if there's a crash in the market. So uh, never panic when there's a crash in the market. See it as an opportunity to pick up quality stocks for the long term. And that's a good start with CSL and Domino's. All right, let's get into the stocks uh, that our viewers want us to have a look at. Um, Paul wants a view on Cooper Energy and... Uh, saying I'd like to ask the panel and Gaurav thoughts on Cooper recently signed a gas supply agreement with AGL and the ACCC recently warned of potential shortfall in gas supply for the Australian East Coast area as early as calendar year 2022. Are these tailwinds that would make it a prospective buy? Of course, Cooper Energy is an explorer and producer mainly in that Cooper Basin area, but also the Otway and Gippsland basins as well. Uh, Gaurav, what do you think of Cooper? I can see why you'd be looking at this, and I'd see why this one would spark your interest, because it's a significant size producer. It's a half a billion dollar market cap. It's been around for a long time. It's, it's reasonably well managed. I think the, the team here doesn't have a lot to work with in terms of assets, but they've been quite good acquiring and running various projects over the years. It looks very cheap on multiples, generates good cash flow. You know. Uh, a lot of things to like, just nothing really to love. I think when, when, when you're adding a, a stock to your portfolio, you need to have an insight. Um, there has to be a good reason why you're buying that company and why you think it's a better purchase than anything else. 
Usually it involves um, a, a narrative mismatch, a dislocation, um, something is unloved, something is misunderstood. I just don't think any of those things apply to Cooper at the moment. It's a, it's an okay business. It's, you know, it's a small production base. Um, most of its gas is contracted at the moment. It's a fairly safe, reliable asset base. Um, it does have a bit more debt than I'd like, but um, as I said, because the production base is quite reliable, you, you do, you, it, the balance sheet can handle a little bit of debt. Now that big decline in the share price you see is because they've had some issues with a partner uh, gas plant, um, which has resulted in lower production for them. Um, it's been a put a bit of put a, it's been a bit of pressure on the business and the balance sheet, but it looks like that is now being corrected. They're building a gas plant of their own to try and go upstream, and I think that offers a lot more opportunity in the future. The most interesting reason to buy this is because it does look like East Coast gas markets are going to be quite tight. Now, I'm not sure how much exposure. Uh, Cooper has to the spot gas market. The, the trouble with gas prices is that they uh, spot prices move around a lot and can, can be very lucrative, but most gas sales are conducted on a contracted basis. So very few gas producers actually get advantage, take advantage of spot contracts. So the market isn't quite as responsive as it is for something like oil or even for LNG. Um, I would suggest if you're interested in, in taking advantage of a type um, a tightening of the East Coast gas market. Senex is probably the better way to go. Right. Also a, a well-managed, decent business, but it has a lot more proportion of its uh, production coming into the spot market and coming up for recontracting. And so I think they'll actually be able to take advantage of the tightening conditions on the East Coast gas market. For me, if you own Cooper, it's just a hold. Um, right. There's nothing too exciting about it. I've, I'm always of the view, if you're taking a bet on a commodity business, if you're willing to sacrifice the surety of price, you want to actually take a bigger risk than normal. So for me, buying a safe, reliable energy producer <laughs> that doesn't have a great deal of control over its pricing isn't really the way to go. I'd rather go up the risk curve and try and actually take on more risk and control that risk with my portfolio right, limits. Okay. So just keep that in mind, a hold for mm -hmm. me. Okay, Nathan? Yeah, it's really sad to start uh, agreeing with Gurev uh, on a, on a <laughs> Monday lunchtime. Uh, look, Cooper's had a pretty good run for a number of years, uh, and then they got into the problem, um, as Gurev said. Um, it, it's about what happens in the Orbos plant. Um, that's been the big underperformer. Look, the contracts are good, but that kind of cancels out the capex requirements that are going to come into play. As Gurev said, you don't have a huge upside in playing the spot market. Um, yes, the dynamics is tightening. That's been there for a while, and these guys have come off. Now, it's ugly, but is it an ugly buy? I think Gurev's right again on the context that if you're going to go for the gas play, for me, the one that was belted the most was Beach, and you know, you've seen a huge bounce in Beach. Um, you know, you've seen a bounce in overall in the whole sector. You've seen um, um, Santos, Woodside, they've come back, they're the big boys, and Beach was the belted one, and that's moved the most. So that's where your uh, beta was to play into that sector if you wanted to play that thematic. Now in the Cooper Energy, if you look at the share prices of Cenex versus Cooper, you kind of see why the thematics have been completely opposite. Cooper's turning around. I think you want to keep an eye on it. I, I still think there's upside in it, 
but it's not the sexy play. You're not going to get the big upside. So the reality is if Orbos keeps improving and the floor starts to go through and the production gets back, then you would see a bit of an upside in uh, Cooper. But I think you're not get, going to get the massive run. So in that context, I'm not getting excited. Okay. All right. Darren wants a view, Nathan, on uh, Samfire Resources. Um, Darren says, in particular, the recent capital raising for the purchase purchase of the Matson Mining Project in Spain. And if they, uh, Nathan and Gorab feel it's worth taking up the uh, share purchase plan. Of course, Sampire Resources into gold and silver and copper. Uh, West Australia, Botswana, the United States, they've got interests all around the place, don't they? Yeah. Um, look, copper market in Australia has been served with a lot of underperformers and management with very weak track record. And, uh, you know, outside Osmin, it's very hard to find anyone who's done well consistently. And Sandfire suffers from the same problem. The other problem I've got is, I mean, the, you've got to remember, things that when they go into European projects, the track record for resource stocks haven't been great. And I've seen a few fail. Uh, so, and take a lot longer than what people think. But this one looks interesting, but look, you're coming into a cycle where Sandfire wants to do a massive transformational deal. And they've done one, and they've raised, and the you know the share price has come back I think below SVP on Friday. So in context, uh, you know the existing shareholders were selling down to get the cheap shares, so it's back down there. So in that context, I think there's still doubt by the market on whether the management can execute this. There is exploration upside, uh, but the longer term picture, if you're going to buy copper for me, it's just always been you either get it through one of the big boys like BHP Rio or you buy Osmin. That's okay. been the safe play. It's not small enough that's going to make a massive run. This is track record has been patchy at best. Uh, it just I just can't get myself into jumping into Sandfire. Okay. Uh, Gaurav? Yeah, really interesting stock to examine at the moment. Um, this acquisition they've made, uh, Matza in Spain, really surprised me. I, I think there was no surprise that, the, that Sandfire was looking for something to buy. The fact that they landed on this project was a big surprise. It's a surprise because it's a giant project. Matza is a collection of three multi-metal mines, and each one is quite significant. The, uh, it, it, they contain a, a little bit of lead, zinc, um, and silver as well. They're connected with a very large central processing facility, and I think that is a real key part of the investment case here. Now, they've, they've, the business has actually sunk a lot of money in this processing facility, and it affords a lot of optionality about how you go about monetizing um, this resource base here. So it's, it is interesting. Uh, the problem with it is that they have paid too much for it. $2 billion to me, or $1.8 billion US dollars, mind you, is too high. I think at least by 20%, maybe 30% too high. They've had to compete against a lot of bidders because the project is rather attractive, low cost, quite large multi-metal, um, again, with a very good infrastructure, good processing facility. So they've had to pay a lot of money and the, and the market is punishing them for that. I'm a bit concerned about this acquisition. Now, when you look at Sandfire, they've had a really great mine in De Grusa, um, over over in WA, and they've got an interesting developing mine in Botswana. But in between De Grusa coming off and Botswana coming on, there's a couple of years where production is going to fall and my suspicion is that management has seen that production fall and try to fill it 
And that is one of the most dangerous things in mining is when you see a production fall and, and management sort of panics and tries to fill that gap with an acquisition. And it looks to me as though that's what's happened here. Um, look, it's not a terrible acquisition. It's actually a good quality mine. They pay too much for it. I wonder if they've done it for the right reasons. And in all their documentation, they talk about the advantages of size, getting bigger. They specifically call out producing more than Oz Minerals. And these are all red flags for me. I, I quite right. like Sandfire. I have liked the management in the past. For me, there are a bit of too, too, few, too many question marks at the moment. And I would, I'd probably sell it at this point. Mm. Um, and look at something else. Um, Oz Minerals is the is a wonderful copper business. They have three times the resources base. They'll be producing 20 years from now, and I think it's a better business. You do pay for it, and I don't think you need to be in copper at the moment. So um, if you desperately want copper, Oz Minerals. Otherwise, I would sell this and just sit tight, and I think you get an opportunity to buy copper at a later stage. Okay, all right. Let's go from resources to uh, to retail. Uh, ben wants a view on a dares um, from the perspective of a long-term investor. Uh, ben says appears to be operating on a good PE, has increased its online sales considerably, charged by its Linen Lovers Club, which has been gangbusters in building a database. However, Ben's concern is about the company's growth potential. Uh, what do the team think of it? Adairs, of course, uh, Gorab, the big homewares retailer. Yeah, this is a fantastic retailer. And I find myself saying that more often than I would think about Australian retailers, that something has happened in Australian retail land where we have a whole host of really good quality retailers available to us. And it's wonderful because we can afford to be really picky and choosy about them. I'd put certainly put Adairs in that bucket. Now Adairs, um, to me, shares a lot of features similar to Dusk. Um, and it's no coincidence because both those companies came from common private equity ownership and the same playbook is being used in both companies. They both have internalized and vertically integrated their um, sourcing and production and they both are utilizing these, um, these customer clubs as a cheap way to, to, to gain customers and to do their marketing. And these have been phenomenally successful. You can really know, you can really see that the business knows what it's doing by looking at its marketing and its and then the success of these clubs. So the Linen Loves Club and the Dares ha, and uh, and Dusk, sorry, also has a similar club which has been equally successful. Um, a huge advantage um, in this industry. The PE looks very cheap, but I, I think we need to be a bit cautious here because when you look at the margins on this business, the EBIT margins, the operating margins have jumped 50% over the last year. Um, per store uh, revenue has jumped um, and the returns on equity have, have, have built it ahead. And to me, this all suggests that the company is probably over earning for the moment and um, margins are likely to retreat and revenue per store is likely to fall over the, the next year or two as uh, shopping habits sort of normalize. And, um, and I think the market is warning of that with the low PE, and, and this could very well be a PE trap. Um, so I, I would not be buying it at the moment, but I do recognize it as a high quality retailer. And I th think I'd, I'd be happy to hold this um, for a period of time. Look, I wouldn't worry too much about the growth here. You've got a great business with a great management and a good rollout opportunity. 
lots of opportunity to um, to add more products, to insource um, to insource brands, and there's a lot you can do here to raise earnings over time. Just be, I'd be patient with this and just hold for now. I think as as those margins normalise, you might get a chance to buy this at a better price. Oh, look, I mean, I think uh, Adairs, as Gurev said, it's one of the uh, the better retailers. There's probably a handful that we've seen have done really well through the pandemic and then evolved through that and shown what they can do. Um, and the playbook Gurev was talking about, you'll see it with a lot of players. They've all got um, you know some kind of membership deal to get you in and they lock you into a, a marketing campaign and they do quite well with it and they evolve with it. So it's been good and their multiples are you know they're pretty cheap but the thing is they are cyclical so whenever they look really cheap you have to be worried because expectations are pretty high that's priced in for a lot of these high quality retailers uh and for what i'm seeing out of adairs look they're really good management they've done well but they are part of the cycle and as the economic cycle slows down uh we've got all these housing side of things slow down and governments are, and rba are moving to curb some of that you'll see some of that playing out through the retail sector and some of these stocks will come back. So I, I'm not getting excited by retail sector at the moment. I'm being very selective, but there are a number of them that I'm putting into a watch list. You know, you look at super retail, you look at Accenture yeah. Group, you look at Shaver Shop, um, Adairs. These are, you know, red, you know, you've seen, uh, you know, a couple of uh, graphs favorites with, uh, uh, you, you know, with the global players. So in that context, there's a number of retailers doing really well, but I think the cycle will come off because the market expectations are too high. So I'm not buying with the retail sector right now. Um, as the economy slow down, handouts get funneled out, and then it starts to normalize, these earnings will also settle back to the normal cycle. That'll give you the opportunity. So I'd say keep an eye on all the good retailers like Adairs, but wait for the cycle to come back. Okay, so no for Adairs. Okay, all right, uh, Gary is up next. Gary wants a view on Whitehaven Coal. Gary says, I'd love to ask or have a mate that on Monday about a couple of stocks. One is Whitehaven Coal. It's going gangbusters with the energy, European energy crisis. Gary, 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 where have you been, mate? Uh, back on June 7, these two gurus loved Whitehaven Coal. Everybody hates coal stocks because of ESG. These two said coal prices, record highs. It will keep going. Where, because no one's um, giving approvals for any new mines. Um, Whitehaven Coal on June 7 was $1.80. Uh, I just noticed on the ticker before, it's up 7% today, but um, at 346. Um, so it's almost doubled since the 7th of June. So Gary, it just pays to watch the call on a regular basis to get the inside tip here. You would have almost doubled your money. Uh, would you still be a buyer at, at this this level, Mason, or has Gary missed the boat? Yeah, so this is where it gets a bit tricky. Um, we we were looking at the supply demand, and I have to say, Gura has been on this for a while. I, yep. I was waiting for the numbers to move before I jumped on. Um, uh, it's one of those ones where you've got to look at what's happening with the main players. So we are seeing China now moving to um, increase supply on their side to curb uh, prices and China has a way of stabilizing commodity prices. Um, and then India came out and said their um, demand is not going to outstrip supply. Again, time will tell if that is true or not. I mean, obviously, there's play, um, you know, with the renewables, there's um, gas prices are taking off in Europe. 
that's going to play out in the short term. So I think in the shorter term, I think you're okay. Um, I've been following the uh, ETF for call to see what the global trend has been, and that's actually come off in the last couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be running out to buy call stocks right now, but if you're in it, I think you're in a pretty good shot. Um, at the moment, it's playing out quite well. I'm pretty sure hedge funds and private equity are doing really well on the cash flow, and the numbers look pretty good. So it still looks good. Um, if, if you're buying into it, you probably want to buy the big guys because you've already seen the big run up in in the call sector. So Whitehaven and uh, you know um, uh, North Hall and Northern Hope uh, still plays out quite well. Um, so I think that's where you want to be. Don't go too small because you're late in the cycle, but the dynamic still holds up. So you know it's hard to go against the trend. Okay. All right. So are you saying get in now if you're a new investor or have you missed it? Oh, I think if you're a new investor. If you want to play the call sector, I'm still happy to play Whitehaven and North okay. because they're right. big boys. Yep. Gaurav? This around a dollar. Um, I personally got some under a dollar. And I mentioned that... Now, now you're just showing off. I am. I am. Partly <laughs> to both. Because <laughs> I, I was telling Nathan long ago... Yes, I know. You want to make money? Yeah. We don't. But look, there's a serious point to this as well. And the serious point is that too many investors... Too many smart investors just blanket swear off resource stocks saying they're too hard, they have no control of price, they're crap businesses, there's always an excuse why they don't invest in them. And I just think all that does is it makes it super attractive for the rest of us because no other industry on the ASX gives the regular opportunity for mispriced purchases the way resources does. And I've rarely seen a mispricing as acute as I've seen for coal over the last 12 to 18 months. Now, we were maybe a bit too early with uh, with coal. We got in on New Hope and Whitehaven and had to sit there and look like fools for months while people questioned our sanity and threatened to take their money from us. <laughs> um, but I think that's exactly the opportunity. I, I just think it's a great lesson in being open as an investor and to um, and it's a great example of where contrarianism really, really works. Now, should you buy it now? Um, the last time coal prices, well, coal prices have never really been at these levels. This is the, we're talking about record highs here. But the last time coal prices were anywhere close to this, Whitehaven was a six, seven dollar stock. Uh, New Hope was also sort of double or triple the price that it is now. So. There is no doubt that there is skepticism still being priced into these uh, coal stocks. On my numbers, Whitehaven um, trades at sort of one times EBITDA. Uh, this is this wow. should in a normal market this should be nine dollars, and it's trading at sort of less than three fifty. Now I don't think it'll get to nine dollars because we're no longer in a normal market anymore, and there's always going to be a discount associated to coal stocks. But I still think. Um, I still think Whitehaven is probably worth around $5 or so. Mm, okay. uh, as long as the price kind of holds, it doesn't have to hold where it is now. It has to hold somewhere in this vicinity and you'll still make plenty of money. We also have to get used to the idea of making our money um, out of dividends because um, 12 months ago, Whitehaven looked like it was going to raise equity and its balance sheet was a big burden. They're going to pay off all their debt by Christmas and they're going to start paying dividends by next year. And those dividends are going to be very generous. So I don't think it's too late. You can still buy Whitehaven now. But keep this as a lesson about being flexible as an investor. Don't swear off anything. Look at everything. 
And, um, and in particular, when you see something absolutely reviled and hated by the market, that's the opportunity. Um, so I, it, the more important than buying Whitehaven now is learning the lesson from it about yeah. um, the benefits of being contrarian. Yeah. Lock that away. Use it for next time. There will be a next time. Yep. Very good point. All right. I'll, uh, just, jump in there. I'll yep. just jump in there. Uh, the supply side issues in China with flooding is having a decent effect. So a lot of the coal stocks in China are opened up 8% today. So that's probably right. one of the drivers of our coal sector. Um, you know, as much as when China is trying to increase supply, that just means that in the shorter term, there's more risk to their supply. So I suspect that coal stocks are going to do well in the short term. Okay. All right. Um, Gaurav, Fred wants a view on FBR, other end of the market. This is a, a pretty small company in the, the robotics field. Um, they design, develop and build stabilised robots um, designed for, uh, for outdoors. Uh, what do you think of uh, FBR? Yeah, if, if anyone has any doubts about this, jump onto YouTube and, um, and just Google uh, the Hadrian yep. or, or, um, or the name of the company. And they have videos of, of this, of a robot, of a giant robot. Uh, sort of building a house by itself, and it is quite astonishing. Um, this is a remarkable piece of technology, uh, and it could revolutionise the way construction is done. It's founder led, founders own a big chunk of it, so so far it's sounding pretty good. Uh, I, I just think it's too early to be investing in this. Um, this is a great idea in search of a business model. It's not really a business here yet. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the hustle that the founders have shown. They're trying different things to try and, and monetize this sensational technology. But so far, it hasn't really worked. I'm, I'm really put off by some of the things I've seen from the business. So they, they call their revenue model wall as a service. Yes, you heard that right. Wall as a service. And they've registered that trademark. <laughs> um, and I just think that's silly. You know, it's a fixed price contract. You've got a great piece of technology here, guys. I just just don't be cute about it and try and sell it in the normal way. And I think you'll get people on board. Um, it, it you know it makes management look very promotional and distrustful, and um, I don't like it one bit. Um, it's also taken a lot of effort to grow this business. So they've the share count has increased three x over the last five years, and that really does limit how much how well the per, per share earnings can grow over time. So. The dilution is is a is a is a bit of a worry. Um, I don't think they're close to um, getting to cash flow break even. In fact, they've got no revenue at the moment, so there's undoubtedly more um, equity raisings to come. A wonderful piece of technology, um, but it it's just an idea, and and yeah. we can watch this for a little while. And when when serious revenue starts to come in, we we can appraise it at that situation. There's there's no point. You don't get any extra points for being a hero. And, and jumping in before there's any revenue. So yep. um, I don't think early. there's any need. For okay. Nathan, too early? Jesus, I, I, I thought Gurev was going to come through with a B-52 bomber and absolutely destroy <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, that is as good as Gurev, uh, as controlled as Gurev can get. So there you go. Um, so... I, the reason I actually knew about this stock for a, a long time simply because I was actually in a bio, uh, uh, I think it was a resource stock, and it went bust, 
Um, it was basically a one asset play. The asset got sold. We got the dividend. And, and then it, this one was backdoor listed into it. Ah. And so by accident, I actually ended up holding FBR. And I was like sitting there going, what the? And, <laughs> and then I looked through it. And exactly what Gaurav said, you see the video and you go, damn, this thing is funky. And the stock ran up. And, you know, I was holding it at around the current prices. And this is four or five years ago. And then it ran up. We got out because I was went, all of these things are fun to look at, but they take a long time to execute. And that's been the story. Um, it's it's just you, you look at that and go, geez, this makes sense. Why doesn't it? And and this is a story of a lot of stocks, you know, from tech. There's a lot of technology stocks out there that you look at it and go, that makes complete sense. But the execution of going from a thematic to actually revenue earning model monetizing is a tough cycle and that takes longer than you think. And this has been going on for years. And and the reality is they've just raised money. Um, so they've got money in the shorter term. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like a biotech for me. You, until you prove the thematic, you're just going to yep. be keep burning money and raising money. Okay. So, again, all of these things I like to keep on my watching list, uh, on my watch list. And when they execute and they actually get to that step of saying this is where the monetizing plan is and this is how it's going to play out, then I'm all for it. At this point, it's a funky tech, but that's about it. Okay. All right. Let, let's recap the first five stocks. Uh, our stocks to to buy in a crash, CSL from uh, Mathan, uh, Domino's from Gorav, Cooper Energy, a uh, hold from both uh, Mathan and Gorav. Um, uh, Gorav prefers Senec in that in that sector. Uh, Sampai Resources, a no from Mathan, a sell from uh, uh, from Gorav prefers uh, Osmin. Uh, Adairs, a uh, a hold from um, uh, from Gorav, a no from Mathan. Whitehaven, yes, even though it's had uh, a big increase up. FBR, a no. Um, here on the call, we've got our own fantasy portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner Nabtrade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up, like Whitehaven Coal, go into the portfolio if they come up again and don't get a hold or uh, another buy it, they then go out. Um, been up to the portfolio is up 2% for the week, a percent for the month, and for the for, uh, financial year to date, up 5.5%. Uh, since inception, 1st of July last year, up 43%. Uh, some of the stocks uh, recently added HTE, Silk Laser. Uh, bigger cheese, Axet and Calix, some of the stocks are removed. Uh, Nick Scarly, A2 Milk, New Hope, get a boo from Ooh. the two there. Uh, and Medical <laughs> Developments. To check all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, gents, um, question without notice. Uh, this is from Tony, uh, sent in an email this morning saying on the 30th of August, uh, Gorev and Mathan gave a buy for Camplify. He followed the recommendation. It's now up 100% since then. Do they have an exit strategy for me? Hold Camplify or, or take the money and run? Gorev? So um, I own Camplify. Um, I got in um, around IPO time as well. And yep. the reason is that this could be a very large business. Now, it's not right. there yet. It has a lot to do. But I would not be selling out. This could okay. be. This is only a hundred million dollar business or so. This could easily be a five hundred million, one billion dollar business. 
has a lot of work to do, but this is a great option. You can take yeah. a little bit off at the from off the table as it goes ahead, but this is a this is one of those stocks that could could change your life really. Um, <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting. One. I, I would hold this for the next few years and and see how they execute because the, okay. the upside here is, is remarkably large. My turn. Oh, uh, finally, I get to disagree. Um, uh, look, this is a really interesting stock. Um, I, I do like it, but it's early. It's going to take time, uh, and the market gets overly excited, and it just shows you how the market is chasing for growth. Anything that comes up with a pretty good story, can execute, has a capacity for blue sky, it's getting bitted up. So the logic would be take, I would be looking at 30, 30%, you take profit, lock right. in most of your capital, and ride the rest. If they okay. get something wrong, then then dump and run. If they don't, you ride the rest. So okay. you've got to do in this kind of market, you've got to manage your risk. Okay, so sell 30%. All right, there you go, Tony. Um, it's interesting how everybody keeps um, sort of keeps tracking what you two have been saying. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> uh, in a good in a good part. Scary. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, Nathan. Matt wants to be on 360 Capital. Um, uh, group, which is the big funds management group. Um, Matt says, hurt by COVID, but have some great assets, nice dividend, seems like great value. Mate, that is yeah, 360, they, good value? Yeah, they had me at uh, Alternative Investment. Um, so, you know, I do love uh, a diversification in style. Um, I do love the concept of being non-correlated to the economic cycle because, you know, when the market gets into a tough cycle, that's where it goes undone. So things that are non-correlated tend to give you a bit more protection. And you know, the management is good. They have a pretty good track record. Um, and they, what I like about them is they buy and sell assets. Um, you know, so in that context, sometimes you know, when I look at the best players, uh, and we talk about a lot of those listed private equity businesses like the West Farmers, the uh, Infratels, the Goodman Groups, the uh, Macquaries, uh, they're very good at buying and selling, and sometimes we think they're selling too early, uh, and then we get proven afterwards that we were wrong. Um, so in that context, I think the management is good. They have, and the fact that they're trading assets gives me confidence that they're looking at things all the time. It's not lazy. Um, so look, it pays a pretty good yield, um, mm. and I think when you're looking at a portfolio sense, it's four to five percent, uh, and you know, uh, good management. And I think uh, over the long term, if it's part of your portfolio. If I'm picking 10 to 15 stocks, this is not in my top 10, 15, but I think it has a place in a portfolio. So, okay. you know, if you're after that aspect, I think it looks pretty good. Mm. Go ahead. Yeah, 360 is run by a fellow called Tony Pitt. And, uh, and, and the name is instructive of his style because um, Tony is an animal. Um, we first came across him um, as shareholders in NextDC, oh, yeah. and uh, NextDC was in a battle. They were trying to buy back some properties that they had um, sold before they were super successful, and you know they're quietly purchasing uh, this, this uh, some um, their data centers back, and this this uh, renegade uh, investor came up and basically extorted the business for about fifty million dollars. And when we saw the style and the aggression of Tony Pitt, we looked him up and thought, okay, put that put that guy on a database, and next time he pops up, we'll see what he can do. And he popped up on 360 Capital, and um, <laughs> I, I would back 360 Capital. This is run by a ferocious management team, um, and they have at the moment what they're doing is is they've got um, they've got stakes in other funds together, and they've got cash 
and they're looking to deploy and invest that into um, into property um, and into other funds, businesses, into um, direct assets themselves. Um, at the moment, you can buy this company at well below um, asset value, and I think that's really attractive. The reason the share price has underperformed, and the reason I'm a bit disappointed so far with it, is because they've had the opportunity. They've had a, a you know a, a quite a um, a, a difficult market to contend with and during that whole market cycle they've been cashed up and yet they haven't really deployed um, their firepower and I've been a bit disappointed with that. I, I would have thought someone with the reputation and smarts um, of these guys would have actually deployed their money and taken advantage of the very volatile conditions and they haven't done that. So I think that's why the share price has fallen. Um, I've actually sold out of this. I did own stock and I've sold out myself just to reinvest but I do think there's a great team and a great idea here. You need to be patient, but I think um, long-term holders will do very well from this. Um, so it's a buy from me. Okay. All right. Now, speaking of viewers that uh, keep notes, uh, Jeff <laughs> wants a view on Deterra royalties. Uh, Jeff says, is it still a buy taking into account the drop in the price of iron ore? Uh, earlier this year in April at $4.34, uh, Adam Dawes from Shaw said it was a buy. Then on June at 4.30, a buy from Gaurav Amatha. It was also a buy. Again in September at 4.06, Ben Clark and Luke Winchester had it as a buy. Now, uh, the company's share price has dropped somewhat, maybe due to the iron ore price dropping. Do your experts still have it as a buy? Gaurav? Jeez, I mean, some pretty good company there. You just named, yep. I think, the smartest guys on the channel. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Um, I didn't realise that uh, it was so popular. That that might that worries me a little bit, actually. Um, <laughs> look, this is one of the best businesses on the ASX, um, and I don't think it's been recognised as such because all this company does is collect money from BHP and then ship it off as dividends. Yep. It is really that simple and is really that good. You never see metrics as good as you will see from from this company. It's, um, it's very safe because the counterparty is BHP. They need um, that, uh, it's called um, uh, the mining area C. They, they need that area because it helps blend um, uh, 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 high grades into their iron ore product and it helps lower their costs. So it's, it's absolutely vital. It has sort of um, a dec uh, 100 years of production to go. So it's a long, long way to go. Um, and, and you'll get um, really good uh, dividends out of this business. Unless, of course, the management stuff it up. And, and this is what's concerned me. The management has come out and said they want to build a royalty house. They want to add other royalties to this. I can tell you anything they buy is going to be worse than this because this is probably the best royalty stream in the world. Right. And, and they will just dilute the quality of this royalty um, if they buy anything. So I'm hoping they don't do anything. It's fallen, obviously, because the iron ore price has fallen. But... Uh, I've run some numbers on this, and if you end up with a with a seventy dollar iron ore price, which I think is about where I expect iron ore to land, um, at the current price, you still be getting a fully frank dividend yield of sort of seven eight percent. So I think that's uh, that's a pretty decent return you can you can count on. It's going to last a long time. The caveat is just keep an eye on management. They don't make sure they don't do anything silly. But I think you can still buy this um, yep. pretty comfortably and and okay. bank that dividend for a long time. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I don't think the dynamics has changed. I think the thematic is the same. We liked it because of what they have. It, it's a it, it's a predictable play. 
Um, and of course, the iron ore prices were, was the unknown. And I think both of us expected it to come back. Uh, now, the question would be, I, I still think the macro is telling me there's still probably one more leg down before things settle down. So we're still waiting for clarity in what's happening in China and how that plays out. So over the next month or so, we should find out. There's probably a bit more downside. Um, if you're in it, I'll be holding through it. Um, if you're not in it, I'd wait for it, uh, things to settle down before jumping in. Now, the, the longer term picture is, as Gurev said, it's what the management does. Now, um, no management wants to lose their job. Um, so all these royalty guys are basically writing checks. So they want to make the model bigger, hold on to them so their jobs not get taken out. So, you know, you get big or someone else tries to, tries to buy you out. So in that context, they potentially might do something. And that's the risk, as Gurev said. So if they flag that they're going to buy something and, you know, they will talk about it, that's probably partly defensive. But if they actually move to get something, that's when I just dump it and walk away. But okay. till then, I think it's still a pretty good play. I think the iron ore still remains a play on the longer term cycle. Price will be probably settled down around here uh, or a bit lower, but that still should give you a pretty good yield. It's not in my top 10, 15 stocks that I want to chase for the big story. But as a portfolio, I think still looks pretty good and I, I'd, I'd still hold on to it. Okay. Uh, Laura wants a view, uh, Nathan, on Cochlear. You talk about Australian healthcare stocks, health tech stocks, uh, of course, the bionic ear and things like that. Uh, Laura says, "Is this, this stock is on my watch list. What do the experts think? Oh, look, it's, as I said before, the healthcare sector in Australia is what, arguably the best sector uh, running around. Um, and so there are some big boys and they do really good work. And the top of the list is CSL. Then you look, you know, you go down the order, ResMed, right. uh, Fisher and Parkle Healthcare is really good. Cochlear probably, is, for me, is one step below. Look, I still think it's really high quality. I had a friend of mine working there. Um, I don't know if people remember a number of years ago when they had one of their um, um, brands pull back yeah. and everyone was panicking. The market got smashed. I rang my friend up and had a chat to him. He didn't even know about it. And he was pretty senior at Cochlear. So they just didn't care. It was about the long-term plan. So most of the healthcare stocks, the big boys, what we have in our market, are really high quality. Cochlear is, you know, it's one of those ones where I think people overestimate the, uh, I suppose, how many people can use it. It's not like a CSL where it's for everyone. There is a price range that limits the amount of customers that Cochlear can go to. But it's, and also there's always chatter about Chinese competitors coming. Mind you, that's been going on for a long time and hasn't happened. So again, there are certain risks, but look, they are one of the better players and they've done really well. Again, all of the healthcare stocks, they give you these, you know, probably two pullbacks every three years where you get this 30, 40% pullbacks. That's a macro trade, the big passive money leaving the big sectors, and that gives you the opportunity to buy in. Right now, I think we're in that cycle and all of the healthcare stocks are coming off. And I'd be waiting for that. When that bottoms out, I'd jump into all of them. And Cochlear is one of them. Okay. All right. But not at the moment. Uh, uh, Gaurav? Yeah, look, uh, I'm surprisingly agreeing here. I actually do think that the market tends to overestimate the growth of this business. And, and like Nathan, I do think the constraint on the growth is the, the price of the product, um, how many people in the market can actually pay it. And there is burgeoning competition as well. And those things do tend to get forgotten sometimes because the actual economics, the quality of the company is so wonderful, management's wonderful, that we, we, we can forget that 
Look, I, I don't think this is going to grow at double digits. I think we're, we're still looking at high single digit growth rates and you're paying an awful lot of money for that. It's 45 times earnings. Um, there are a few things that I really like about this business. And I think um, one of them, for example, is is that, that they've have a, they have a services division um, uh, and, and that division is growing really nicely, accounts for sort of 30% of revenues. Um, and it's often forgotten that it's this little gem inside, a very high margin, um, just growing every every time they sell a unit, that services division and gets sort of a guaranteed revenue stream over the next few years. It's a really nice little business in, in, and it's just buried inside this otherwise very look, good looking company. Um, so there's, there's a lot to like here. They spend more money on R&D than anyone else in the industry by a mile. I'm torn. Look, I... I, I think it's probably closer to a sell for me than a buy, right. um, but I'll put it as a hold. If you're a long-term investor, I still think if you're holding this, you'll do acceptably well. But I do think if you're a more aggressive investor, you can sell this and buy something else and probably do better. Okay. Um, keep that in mind. I'll, I'll keep it as a hold, um, sure. but uh, yeah, um, just just it's it's probably over, over the growth rate is overrated here. Okay. All right, uh, Kathy wants a view. Um, I think it would. I was going to say speaking of overrated, uh, the Australian Stock Exchange. Gaurav, <laughs> uh, has this come up before with you? And I don't think you were that kind on it. I'm often not kind, Koshi, but I don't think I don't think ASX has earned my ire too much. Um, oh, okay. All right, <laughs> might be someone else. But what um, do you think look, of ASX? It is, of course, a wonderful business. Um, it's it's the archetype sort of network business. Um, you know, it attracts the most listings, attracts the most traders. It's a difficult cycle to break, even though you've got these dark pools and Chiex trying to take um, trading away from the ASX. Volumes are still glorious. It's a really nice business. Sometimes monopoly tends to breed complacency, and I think you can see a little bit of that happening here. Um, and I do think that um, I'd like to see ASX exploring tie-ups with other exchanges just to strengthen that competitive position. Yep. With the advent of um, sort of sort of blockchain and and crypto, um, you know, it, it, these are things that could threaten the moat around ASX and and exchanges in general over time if they're not addressed. And I hope I, the management here is is addressing some of those new challenges. It's expensive, but not as expensive as it used to be. Um, the dividend is is really attractive here. Almost three percent for this kind of business is is quite good. I'm, I'm going to go hold, um, and uh, it's a company you should always have on your watch list um, because it is impacted by market volume to, and on a big drawdown on the ASX, a big bear market. We'll see the ASX, we'll see the company fall as well, and that's a great opportunity to buy it. So keep it on your watch list for, for that sort of situation. Hold. Okay, Nathan. Look, uh, we've been a fan of ASX. Um, it's uh, it's got it's an interesting play because we like the domestic defensive big uh, behemoths, and uh, in this current cycle, and ASX fits that bill. Um, look, they, we picked it up, I think, below seventy. Um, and depending on your model that we were looking at for the growth plays, we got out when it went past eighty. Um, and in the yield play, I, I still think it looks good. Um, you're still getting a decent yield. I mean, it's relative to the bond yield, which is nothing. Uh, but ASX is a pretty good deal in that context. Now, there's a couple of things I like about it, and Gaurav mentioned a couple of them. 
One for me is there is a, a real potential of consolidation in this industry. Before ChiX came into the game, and I think we've spoken about this before, you, no one could bid on ASX because it's the dominant play, it's the only play. Now that ChiX is there and ChiX has been taken out by a global player, you actually have a proper competitor to say that someone else could come in and take out ASX. And there are consolidations on a global scale for exchanges in play. And I think Australian exchange, ASX, offers a great way for European investors into Australia. So it wouldn't surprise me someone out of Europe, i.e. a London Stock Exchange, who's got the scale, the technology, to jump in and have a look at ASX because you can have a shadow play into Asian markets, especially China, without actually having to go into China. So that's one side of it. The other side of it, and it's the technology. As Gaurav said, what's happening in blockchain technology has changed the dynamics for ASX. I think they are looking at a lot of new things. I think the business is trying to reset itself and it's trying to reorganize itself for the new world. And I think that will play out over the next couple of years. And I think that will uh, unlock a lot of value for them. Now, that, that's the interesting part, because as that plays out, I would say if someone was looking at ASX, you'd be trying to jump in before they do that. And for someone like London Stock Exchange, who've done a fair amount of technological work and they've bought parts of Thomson Reuters, Refinitiv to add to their capacity, uh, for them, uh, this is why, you know, this is the time to move on ASX before they invest in uh, into technology and then become bigger. So that's the interesting timing for it. So I'm actually quite positive on ASX. Mm. I'm happy to hold it. I think in the shorter okay. term, it's done well, it'll come off. But okay. longer term dynamics still look pretty good. All right. Running out of time, we'll have to get into uh, just cover our last one quickly. Uh, Nathan Oscar wants a view on, on Maine Pharma, the pharmaceutical company that's in a bunch of uh, generic manufacturing of pharmaceutical. Yeah, look, I'll start with saying Gurav's probably going to bomb this one. Um, it's a generic drug play. Have a look at Teva in the US. When that's running, you buy this. So all right. they're doing is basically they're reorganizing. They're trying to get rid of their lower margin generic drugs, and they're trying to get more of the higher margin generic drugs. That's still taking time. No need to rush in. Wait for that to play out. It'll probably take another six to nine months. When you start to see numbers come through and their higher margin generic drugs start to deliver, that's when you want to get in. This has burnt a lot of fund managers. So a lot of fund managers would be too scared to go back into this. So you got time. Yep. Gorad? Yeah, you're right. It's burnt a lot of fund managers because it always looks cheap. And um, I think these guys are actually quite good at telling the story. Look, there's nothing really wrong with management here. I think they do a good job with what they've got. But what they've got is a, is a collection of generic drugs that uh, are highly competitive. The margins have halved over the years. The returns are awful. It's a difficult business. And if someone came to you with this as a private company and said, would you like to add some money? You'd decline every time. I think you can take this off your list and, and look at higher quality companies. Okay. Avoid. All right. Gaurav Saidi from Intelligent Investor. Good on you, mate. Good to have you aboard today. Nathan Sobersandaran from Deep Data Analytics. Always great to kick off the week with you two on the call. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Oh, they are ter terrific, aren't they? And uh, it's good that everyone's keeping tra track of their recommendations as well. Um, three, 360 Capital, a yes from both Nathan and Gaurav. Deterra, a yes from uh, Gaurav at these prices, a hold from Nathan. Uh, Cochlear, a hold from, Nathan, uh, from Gaurav, a no from Nathan. ASX, a hold from both. 
Main Farmer and No from both and uh, Camplify, which is the one I threw in because it's gone up 100% since August when the two of them, uh, Gaurav and Mathan, recommended it. Uh, Mathan's saying sell 30% of your holding and, and banks and profits and uh, Gaurav is saying it's still worth holding. Uh, that's our show for today. If you've got any stocks that you want to, uh, me to put to our expert panel, put them in an email to call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. All the stocks in the calls portfolio, go to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, Whitehaven Coal uh, 360 Capital, go into that portfolio. Mm-hmm.